We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, Derek Van Riper. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Draft.com. Derek Van Riper here today with Luke Hoover. We got a special episode this week breaking down one of our Las Vegas drafts, which, if you haven't drafted in Las Vegas, it's one of the most difficult places to draft because you're either hungover, you're sweating to death. Uh, or you're just distracted by the other things that are going on there. Uh, Luke, thanks for taking some time to talk to me today. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me, Derek. Excited to talk about the draft a little bit. Um, wasn't uh, sweating too much since it was in a, a nice suite we had up in the, the Cromwell Hotel, but I think they had the air off for most of it with 20-plus guys, and it did get a little hot. Yeah, yeah, it gets a little little intense crowding up those rooms. But uh, there were three drafts in total. They're all the same format, uh, all, I think, 14-team leagues, Non-PPR, so that's a little bit different. A lot of leagues are using half-point PPR and full-point PPR right now. Uh, you had the fourth overall pick in your particular league. You started by building around Ezekiel Elliott, and we're seeing some buzz the last few days that Elliott's been going first overall in some of the high-stakes leagues that are out there, ahead of Gurley, ahead of Le'Veon Bell. At, at the four spot, I imagine 
you were content to kind of just take the best on your board who fell. That's the, anything you would do in the four spot is if you want one of those running backs, you, you take whatever's left. If you want to go Antonio Brown, some people are going to do that. In non-PPR, I think it definitely made sense to go running back. Now, with Zeke, my only concern is the quality of the offense as a whole. Like He's going to get as many touches as he can possibly handle. Like I think he could lead the league in carries, but I wonder if the passing game struggles again this year, how much will his per-carry numbers suffer as a result of that that lack of a credible threat through the air? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's something I would have considered too, but it, where the board fell, it was a no-brainer to me. Uh, when I uh, drew the fourth spot, I knew I'm grabbing either Zeke or David Johnson. I, I did slightly prefer David Johnson, but I could totally get the argument for Zeke number one overall. And as far as the, the per-play statistics, I'm really not that worried. I mean, his numbers were you know, relatively on par with his, his rookie year last year, averaging, you know, around 100-plus uh, scrimmage yards a game, I want to say 120, 30 range, uh, and about a touchdown a game. And he was only averaging 4.1 a carry. So really not concerned about the, the efficiency of the touches, just the volume. Like you said, he might lead the league in carries. I think, you know, he's just as strong a bet as just about anybody, though. You know, I've argued for one other guy who I did consider there, that's Leonard Fournette. I'm probably higher on, on him than you know, than uh, the rest of the industry for the most part. You know, as you saw, if uh, you're looking at the draft board, I think he fell the late uh, first, went 13th overall, I want to say. So, yeah, it's uh, I was pretty happy to get Zeke there. Uh, uh, interestingly enough, we were drawing the picks, and I stepped out of the room to grab a beer for a second, walked back in, and, and they were calling for me to pick from the hat, and I said, give me number four, and just happened to grab it. So I got lucky. Uh, I really did want either him or David Johnson to bump the team around. I called your shot there, drawing your own yeah. spot out of the hat. That's actually, if, if you can't uh, do the rankings order, like the NFFC leagues out there, you can you take the 1 through 14 spots and you put them in order of how you want them, and then the system draws an order. So whenever your name comes up, you get the highest ranked spot uh, possible. Those leagues are different because you get the third round reversal. It opens up a lot more interesting possibilities at the end of round 1. Um, but I, I do like the literally drawing your draft spot out of a hat right before you start and having to make that call on the fly. Everybody seems to want to start with a running back in round one. You know, running back, running back for some people is definitely preferred. I'm pretty agnostic about it. Kind of depends on where I'm at in the draft order. So you go Zeke uh, in the in the first round. Diggs coming back through in the second. It's probably about as early as I've seen Stephon Diggs go in a draft so far this year. That was the 25th overall pick. Uh, I love Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. I mean, that's a big upgrade for me over Case Keenum. And when I look at Diggs versus Adam Thielen, I think Thielen is an excellent PPR guy. But when you take away PPR entirely, I think that really does level the playing field between the Vikings' top two wideouts. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you, you know, you're right. It's probably as high as I'd even really personally be willing to take Diggs. It's like you said, it's kind of, I'm agnostic. It's how the board fell. Probably would have gone running back, running back in my prime target in the second round of most drafts this year is Joe Mixon. You know, I, th- I still believe firmly he's got that top five overall upside, you know, great talent, both, you know, running, running and receiving the ball. You know, I'm not too worried about him losing the touches to, to Joe Bernard. Uh, it, this happened to me last year, actually, uh, Jim Coventry, who picked uh, in the, in the ninth spot, he ended up getting him in the second round in the reversal. And he was stealing guys from me last year in the same draft. Uh, he was doing it again this year. That was really one of the only two that I, I really liked that he got. But uh, you know, I wound up going three straight receivers. Um, once Diggs fell to me, I was I was between Mixon, Howard, or even Darius Geis. 
all three of those guys came off the board just a few picks before I could grab him. Uh, I'm one of those guys that, that look for unusual ways to track players and learn about players. And, uh, you know, it sounds maybe a little stalkery or whatever, but I actually follow a ton of these guys on Instagram, you know, look at their stories on occasion, just see what they're up to. I, you almost could never see Diggs post anything that's not a workout. This guy's a machine. You know, I believe he's technically as sound as they come. And it has that type of profile that I'm not saying he's ever going to achieve this, but it has that Antonio Brown type potential, you know, good contested catch guy, great route runner, really strong hands, uh, you know, good in traffic, uh, quick in and out of his breaks. So love the upside. I know Adam Thielen's there. They're going to fight for targets all year. I think they're both 120 plus type target guys. And I could see Diggs having a ceiling in that neighborhood of 140, 150 targets. And I think they're fine as a tandem, no matter how you stack them up. It's more 1A, 1B, as opposed to 1 and 2 with Thielen and Diggs. I think there's still a chip on his shoulder. This is a guy that was drafted a lot later than you would have expected. Like If you followed Stephon Diggs when Maryland recruited him, the long, long-term future seemed extremely bright. And I think the the lack of output as he progressed at Maryland was kind of surprising to a lot of people. If he's not hobbled this year, he's had a lot of issues with his legs, soft tissue problems that can be recurring. I think we could see that best season yet from Stephon Diggs in year four. We've seen him catch 80 passes in a season. He had 84 back in 2016, and he missed three games that year. So it's reasonable to project 80 over 16 games, maybe even 90. And I think he can get to 1,000 yards with ease. I think this offense with Kirk Cousins at the helm takes a step forward. It looks like Delvin Cook is progressing very well from his torn ACL and by all accounts, Delvin Cook looked 100% legit before he got hurt last year. So the Vikings look like one of the favorites in the NFC. And Stephon Diggs is the guy that, in a lot of places, I think gets a little bit undervalued. So I was really surprised to see him get pushed up here. But I like him quite a bit. Uh, you backed him up with Josh Gordon and Corey Davis before going back to the running back position in round five with Royce Freeman. This draft happened before Josh Gordon took his leave of absence from the Browns. We have no idea how long that's going to last. There seems to be this loose indication that he's going to be back before week one, but it's anybody's guess. I mean, this is a guy that's just trying to be healthy and live a, a normal sort of life going forward. So it's a huge question mark at this point. Uh, my question for you is if you're drafting again today, and I know you're doing a lot of MFL 10s, the best ball format, and, and looking at things before we have all the information that comes from training camp in the preseason. Where are you comfortable drafting Josh Gordon right now with all of this uncertainty? Probably about a round or two later. Yeah, that was exactly, I think it was like a week to the day before the announcement that he was going to, uh, you know, go back in to get some treatment and and uh, not show up for camp. So, you know, that was a little scary. Uh, uh, you know, going back to, you know, kind of Jim and I went back and forth during the draft in, in the room. I wound up kind of standing around where, where um, Jim Coventry and, Jason Thornberry were and, and, you know, chatting players with those guys. He's huge on Gordon. He wrote him up as a, uh, you know, undervalued guy for the Rotowire mag. So, you know, as soon as he <laughs> sees that news, he shoots me a text. He wound up getting um, Larry Fitzgerald and Sammy Watkins with his first two receivers and immediately offered up either one of them to me. Told me he'd absorb the risk. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to take that chance. I like Watkins a lot, actually. He is one of those couple of guys, uh, Jim Snake for me, who I was hoping may, might have fallen another round or two. But, uh, you know, Gordon's upside, I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode right now. I actually have him uh, in another league, one of my favorite home leagues, where I was planning to keep him. Uh, and actually, I'm probably going to now instead keep Corey Davis. 
so, you know, it's it's interesting news with, with Gordon deciding what he's going to do here. But I still believe he's going to be back another week, maybe two weeks. You know, if he misses a preseason game or two, I'm really not worried. He's such an athletic marvel. He's going to step on the field and he's going to perform. And and I think at a, you know, not necessarily an all-pro level like he did back in 2013, but, uh, you know, 1,000 yards in the sleep with that athleticism. So, you know, I like the value there. You know, I'd have gone a round or two later, you know, if we were drafting it today. The amazing thing, too, is that Gordon put up that monster season a few years ago with just completely lackluster quarterback play. Even if it's Tyrod Taylor for a good chunk of the year, that's an upgrade over what Josh Gordon's played with for most of his career. But there's a good chance that it's Baker Mayfield for, if not all of this season, a good chunk of it. Because Mayfield, to me, looks like the kind of guy that, as the Browns coaches see him throughout camp in the preseason, they're going to be really interested in getting him on the field as soon as possible. And I don't, I don't know what exactly it is with Mayfield, but when I watched him at Oklahoma, it just seemed kind of obvious to me that he'd be a good NFL quarterback, even though he doesn't have that prototypical size that scouts always fawn over. Yeah, no, I, I agree uh, you know, completely. And actually, Mayfield's one of the reasons I'm as high on Gordon as I am this year. Um, you know, both those receivers, Gordon and Davis, are guys I'm taking probably around before anybody else in most uh, drafts that I've done. And, you know, hopefully, you know, Gordon does return sooner than later because I've got him in a lot of those best ball leagues, those MFL 10s. But, you know, the Browns do start off with a couple really tough matchups, Steelers, Saints. You know, they, it eases up a bit. But then, you know, weeks five and six, they got the Ravens and Chargers. They're two and four. I wouldn't be surprised at all, if not sooner than that, if Mayfield's under center. And the I think the big difference between him and Taylor is that Mayfield's going to take those chances and, and rely on a guy like Gordon with his athletic ability to pull down those 50-50 balls. He can throw them open a little better than I think Taylor, not necessarily than Taylor can, but than Taylor will because, you know, you didn't really see him take those types of chances with Buffalo. It's kind of tough to say, though, because he never really had the receiver talent outside of Sammy Watkins. But, uh, you know, Gordon's a guy who could be, you know, 14-team league. I looked at him as, you know, a potential you know, uh, title maker, you're the guy that can take you that distance and put you over the top just because of his huge upside. And, and I like uh, Corey Davis in a similar way, you know, as far as one of those guys that could be a difference maker this season and kind of an X factor. But um, I did take him around earlier than I'd really like to just, you know, picking in the, the fourth spot. You know, I know it's not coming back around a ton. I wanted to get a running back in round five. So if I didn't go Davis four or five, I wasn't probably going to get him. Yeah, with Corey Davis, too, I think the injuries last year were a huge part of why he disappointed everybody in his rookie season. There's a, a clear path for him to be a lot more productive, heavily targeted this season. It's a new offense. Matt LaFleur, the new offensive coordinator, seems like he wants to get Davis heavily involved. And adding on to that, Rashard Matthews is on the pup list with an undisclosed injury that's been bothering him for a couple of months now. So we have really no idea what's going on with Matthews, but even if Matthews were healthy, you could look at Corey Davis and make a pretty strong case for him to be uh, one of the more heavily targeted number two receivers in the league this year, given that size and speed combination he showed in college and given that he has another year kind of under his belt as a pro. Yeah, well, 100% agree. And I, I kind of liken him to actually to, you know, almost like a bigger Stefan Diggs. I think their play style is pretty similar. Loved him coming out of Western Michigan. Um, you know, it, it, it was the injury last year. I don't think you can point to anything else. He missed a lot of offseason work where he would have been getting up to speed in the playbook, getting a little more chemistry with Mariota. He should have those things coming in this year, 100% healthy, getting a ton of reps and against a really good cornerback group 
for the Titans, Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler's playing really well in camp by all reports. So he's getting that extra seasoning too, going against a good unit with his own team. So I, you know, I expect him to have a, a big breakout. You know, I'm hoping for since I have him pretty much everywhere, similar to like Allen Robinson's year two, where he went off for those 1,414 scores. Not expecting anything quite, you know, at that level. But you never know if he does get that 130, 140 target range where there really aren't a ton of weapons behind, you know, Matthews, who's dinged up, like you say, or Delaney Walker, maybe, you know, Taewon Taylor, you know, as a, another second year receiver for them. But there's not a lot of, you know, passing game weapons, you know, uh, at the receiver position for Tennessee. Just as far as his ability as an NFL passer, do you believe in Marcus Mariota as a player that still has one more level that he, he can reach? in this new offense? You know, I do. Um, he probably would have been uh, one of my primary targets in this draft, actually, had I not, you know, I kind of came in knowing who I wanted and I, I was able to get him in a, a spot I was comfortable with. I'm sure we'll get to him in a sec, but, yeah, you know, I definitely believe in Mariota. He's got good touch. You know, he, he needs to run more of an up-tempo offense, and that's the the transition that they're going to have and uh, with the new coordinator now coming over from the Rams. So, uh, I fully expect him to to perform, and, and you know he's he's an accurate passer when he's in rhythm. You know he's he's, he's more in rhythm when that tempo is increased. Uh, you know I'm not buying into the you know that he has bust potential based on one bad year. He looked great the year before that in year number two, and had some really nice moments as a rookie too. So you know Mariota's um, going to keep Davis. You know probably in that. 1200 range i think for a long time you know 1100 1200 yard guy i think he could be one of those perennial guys we're talking about in the, in the top 10 of receivers going forward yeah i, I do like that skill set a lot for Corey davis though and i, I believe mariota is good enough to get him the ball enough for him to make that kind of leap forward so going you know three receivers after that zeke pick i think you're going to be okay even if gordon does have to miss a little time to begin the season and we just don't even know if that's going to happen it might be a moot point two or three weeks from now he may be back and working his way through the ends of training camp and getting on the field maybe by the end of the preseason as well. Let's talk about your fifth rounder real quick, uh, Royce Freeman, Oregon's all-time leading rusher, put up some really sick numbers in the Pac-12 during his time with the Ducks, six yards per carry last year, 1,475 yards. He's technically pushing Devontae Booker for the starting running back job. Do you think that's a legitimate competition, or do you think it's just the kind of thing where the coaches don't want to just hand the job to the more talented rookie? I think it's legitimate, in, you know, in the sense that uh, they want to see if if Devontae Booker can step up to the plate. And he had he's had some kind of glimpses, you know, of good play, primarily as a receiver. Really inefficient as a runner. Um, he has the size where he should be able to perform in between the tackles, but that doesn't really seem to be his game. Even though he's about 220 pounds, you know, so you feel like immediately Freeman's going to steal a lot of that, you know, that tough early down work. But he was also a really productive receiver at Oregon, so that's that's another reason I like him a lot. Um, whether this was a PPR or or standard format, I wouldn't. Do, this was my guy in this this pick. Um, briefly considered Sony Michelle, but uh, he's he's a for me much more of a PPR guy, and I worry about Rex Burkhead, who was a, you know a depth target of mine going into the draft. So. You know, Freeman's a guy who I'd, I'd be surprised if he's getting less than 200, 250 carries this year. And I really don't think that Booker's going to put up that big of a fight. He might start that first, maybe two, three preseason games even. But Freeman's going to step in when, when the, you know, the when things really matter and, you know, the bullets are really flying in the regular season. Yeah, I, I think Freeman 
could easily carve out the early down work right away and maybe even take on more of a role as a pass catcher as the season unfolds too like if there's anything they don't like about him in pass protection they put booker on the field in those situations initially freeman's big i think he can hold his own against nfl pass rushers and he'll be just fine over time in that facet of the game as well Uh, you mentioned the quarterback you drafted cam newton got him late in round six that's like pick 81 and if you're going to get a quarterback early and wait a bit to get Cam in that spot in a 14-team league, seems like really nice value. We've seen Cam in those peak seasons when the rushing touchdowns tick up. He ends up being the kind of guy that can win a league for you when the price falls like this. And you know, not much has changed with the structure of the Panthers' offense. you got C.J. Anderson in there as kind of a better version of Jonathan Stewart. I don't know how much they're going to use the rookie D.J. Moore in year one, but it's another interesting weapon to put out there. Devin Funchess you know, took some steps forward last year. Greg Olson being healthy is a big lift for this offense. Uh, with Cam, do you feel like he's a round or two undervalued based on the fact that he's shown he's capable of finishing among the very best quarterbacks in fantasy points per game in the past? I absolutely feel that way. You know, I'd, I'd probably rank him as like a 2A or 2B overall, you know, you can kind of flip a coin, you know, for my taste between him and Russ Wilson. Um, they're just so consistent. You know, uh, the, the rushing production is not going anywhere. He's coming off a career high in yards, not necessarily counting on that to happen again. You know, I think C.J. Anderson uh, is a good addition to the the backfield. And, and so Cam probably won't have to be running the ball as much as he did. But, you know, a, a part of that as well was, you know, the, the lack of receiving weapons. They trade Kelvin Benjamin early on in the year. Greg Olson misses a huge chunk of time, you know, so they really were limited in terms of their overall weapons. I really like what they did adding both DJ Moore, but also kind of quietly Torrey Smith, you know, he's hasn't done much in a little while, but the guy still can take the top off a of defense. He's still got speed You know, he's a veteran presence, you know, so he's, he's going to pick that offense up quickly. You can, you know, um, you can kind of count on that. McCaffrey's in year number two. Anderson's a good receiving weapon out of the backfield himself. And they also drafted, you know, the, the eventual uh, heir to, to Greg Olson, Ian Thomas, and, and I want to say maybe the fourth round of the draft, a really, really good athlete out of Indiana, underrated prospect. So, you know, I, I like the overall weapons. Getting nervous now with the, the offensive line, losing Andrew Norwell, you know, then Daryl Williams, their you know, second-team all-pro right tackle, tears up his knee in, in camp. So that's a bit of a scary factor, but with a guy like Cam, you're still going to get that rushing production, and he's got that scrambling ability. So I think he can extend plays. You know, still be productive as a passer, and you're you're counting on that rushing production. You know, standard format, four points for passing touchdowns. A 14-team league. I'm always in this year in this draft in this league um, targeting a running quarterback. Like I said, I would have otherwise probably looked at Mariota if I if I didn't feel like Cam was already discounted too much. Uh, you know, in, in a 14-team league, I want to try to have a top five quarterback whenever I can to kind of pull me up if you know any of my other positions struggle. Kind of looking at what you did after those first six rounds for a moment, C.J. Anderson in the seventh, Josh Doxson in the eighth, Rex Burkhead, Corey Clement, uh, and Chris Carson through the 11th round before you get your backup, Mitchell Trubisky, and then a tight end, Tyler Eifert, in round 13. Looking at that cluster of running backs for a moment, I mean, Anderson... I think it's 200 carries pretty easily in that Panthers offense. And you mentioned like he's not a bad pass catcher. So in an offense where Christian McCaffrey will line up and run routes like a receiver, you have to wonder if Anderson ends up chunking off big yardage on dump offs into the flat. Like he's just kind of a, a sneaky, useful player right now who most people are drafting 
as an RB3, but he might give you steady week-to-week value as more like a mid-range RB2. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's kind of what I was counting on. It, I, I like Royce Freeman a lot, was happy to get him in the fifth and everything, but you know, I as soon as I took those three quarterbacks rounds two through or wide receivers rounds two through four, I knew I was probably going to try to load up on some upside running backs to try, make sure I had a consistent number two starter. And, and you can flex that, you know, that third back if, if you hit on multiple guys. And I felt confident in my starting receivers. So I started loading up on guys and just felt like the values were better. Anderson made too much sense where I got him. Like you say, you know, I can't imagine he's getting less than 200 carries. I want to say John Stewart got around that last year in that, in that same offense. And Anderson's coming up a season where, you know, he, had, he was top 10 in, you know, in, in runs over 20 plus yards at seven of those. He had a really poor passing offense. You know, Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch. I mean, come on. These are the quarterbacks this guy's playing with. He still had a thousand yard season. Um, so I'm expecting, you know, quiet production all year at him. Pretty steady. One of those guys I can easily flex. If not, you know, he becomes my number two if maybe I miss on Freeman. Talking about these other running backs here for a moment, I mean, you look at Burkhead as a guy that just has a role. No matter how good Sonny Michelle is, Burkhead's going to be on the field. He creates a lot of mismatches. Uh, a nice flex play at the very least, and when injuries strike, maybe even something more than that. Corey Clement's a guy I watched a lot at Wisconsin, and I didn't think he'd be much more than like a practice squad guy in the NFL. Clearly, Doug Peterson liked him quite a bit, got him on the field a lot. Darren Sproles' injury may have opened the door for more touches than expected. They made that trade for Jay Ajayi in the second half of last season. I get the sense that Ajayi might be the workhorse that they didn't have last year, but investing in Corey Clement where he goes is more of just, hey, it's a lottery ticket. You know, if something happens to Ajayi, this is a guy that the coaching staff likes, and I think he's pretty clearly ahead of like a Wendell Smallwood right now if something does happen to Jay Ajayi. Yeah, and uh, I like I said, I was just going value where I took these running backs. Ultimately, it was kind of kicking myself a little bit, um, simply because I, you know, it cost me a guy that I'm probably more obsessed with than you know than you can find any analyst out there. I tweeted about him yesterday, and I know we'll probably get to him in a little bit of time here. But uh, actually, taking Burkhead on the the way back around in the tenth, where I was hoping to get my fifth wide receiver, and then. I was going to be good at that position. I planned to draft Anthony Miller. I took Clement when Miller came off the board about three picks before that to Jason Thornberry, who who knew I had <laughs> upgraded him in the magazine as, a, as one of my sleepers, one of my undervalued guys. Guy I think could be, you know, thousand yard rookie receiver, complete package. Um, Clement was a nice consolation. I had him targeted, both him and Carson. Um, just liked them better than, than the receiver values there. So, and I do have to sweat that out with Gordon since I only have four wide receivers with Josh Dotson being the number four guy there. But, you know, like you say, he's a lottery ticket. Clement, you know, J.H.I. does go down. I think this is a guy, he's 220 pounds. He can get the between the tackles action. He's he's a good receiver. He showed that off really well in the Super Bowl. But, you know, even prior to that, he had a, a couple uh, touchdown receptions in the regular season, including one really nice one from Carson Wentz you know, before the injury. And, and he's a guy who you could be a three down back who could, you know, shoulder a workload of 200 plus touches if, say, a guy were to go down early in the season. Um, so, you know, I'm very high on Clement, grabbing him in a lot in MFL 10s as well. And I think he's got a role as a, a third down guy, as a receiver, even if a guy winds up getting a ton of early down work. So uh, wasn't disappointed with any one pick that I got, just the fact that I missed on my, you know, my top sleeper receiver. As far as Chris Carson goes, is your interest in him as a, a depth running back 
based on any sort of doubts about Rashad Penny, or is it more just buying in on a guy that you think is the clear-cut backup in a situation that could be pretty good if Penny proves unable to handle the three-down role that the Seahawks have suggested he could take on? Yeah. Um, actually, <laughs> going into the NFL draft, uh, I thought Penny was the second-best running back in that class. N- never imagined he'd be a first-round pick or the second guy drafted overall. I think you know most uh, consensus was you know, it would have been uh, Michelle or, or Darius Geis and uh, expected that. But really love Penny's skill set. But the thing is, you know, Chris Carson can do a little bit of all that as well. And one thing Penny didn't do a lot of in college was was pass protect. So I could see Carson carving out, a, you know, the third down work early, uh, showed off some some nice uh, ability as a receiver, both in the preseason early on uh, before the leg injury last year. In fact, uh uh, his only touchdown of the year was a, a catch against Tennessee in that game. He broke his leg. Um, you know, he's got the size. He's he's a good athlete. He's just a real hard worker who they seem to love there. So I won't be surprised if, you know, the all the you know the hype that you're hearing from Pete Carroll is legit and Chris Carson starts and there's a bit of a timeshare at the beginning of the season. Penny's probably a little bit more gifted overall, and I do expect him to get uh, the bulk of the workload. But like you said, I don't, you know, if he goes down on it or if he does – you know, he doesn't deliver. I don't think there's anybody challenging Carson for touches on that roster. Uh, would have really liked to get Jordan Wilkins. Uh, he went one pick before that. I was, you know, had they both been on the board, I would have practically been flipping a coin, um, you know, at that pick. But I love Carson's upside. With Wilkins, uh, when you look at the Colts' backfield, are you hesitant to buy into Marlon Mack as a guy that can actually shoulder a heavy workload this year? No, not at all, really. Actually, I was one of the things that stands out the most to me about Mac uh, was the fact that he he played last year and he fought through a lot of pain with the the torn labrum labrum injury that he had you know, surgery on to repair this off season in the shoulder. Um, but the guy is uh, so explosive. You know, he dances too much, but I don't think he'll have to worry about dancing in that offense. I want all the Colts running backs. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a Notre Dame guy, so it's a bit of a Homer uh, thought process, I guess, but. Quentin Nelson is just a monster. I think there's going to be a lot of big, you know, big uh, running lanes for Indy. You know, he's going to be blowing up the middle of the defense. Uh, I also like that they invested a second-round pick in another guard from Auburn, uh, Braden Smith, who's you know underrated talent. Is another big guy who I think could step in potentially right away, starting on the other side, on the right side. Ryan Kelly's healthy. They might have the best interior offensive line in the league, or certainly one of them, right there, rivaling uh, the Cowboys and a handful of other teams. So. You know, I, I want those Colts backs. I think they're going to lean on the run, at least uh, out of the gate as much as they can and let Nelson do his work. You know, Max Explosive, if you can get him at a discount, I like him. I'm, I'm trying to actually get a couple of them in the MFL 10s. Uh, Naeem Hines, uh, you know, great receiver, good PPR weapon, a guy who um, I, I could see him being a lot like a Tariq Cohen type, um, maybe even a little bit better with that blocking. But Wilkins is a guy who ultimately if Mac doesn't shoulder that workload i could see him stepping and being uh, a workhorse back and being sort of like the uh, jordan howard of this class you know had a lot of success in the sec and put some good good film um, on especially against alabama last year yeah the colts improving that line i mean it's one way to keep andrew luck healthy too but that kind of overlooked aspect would be the impact it could have on that running game fantasy football fans listen up if you love fantasy football then you need to be playing best ball on my favorite app draft It's season-long, but with no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. 
you don't even have to set your lineup. Your best players get automatically selected, and you'll get the best score every week guaranteed. Never worry about injuries or last-minute benchings again. You can draft a team anytime you want, and leagues start every couple minutes so you can join one right now. And the best part, play for cold, hard cash. Leagues start from just $3, so there's a league for everyone. And this year, they're running a $1 million best ball tournament. Just enter the best ball championship, draft the best team possible, and you could win a piece of $1 million in prizes. No salary caps. You can play in a real live snake draft just like you play with your friends in a season-long league. Come and join me today on Draft. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on Draft.com, whichever you want. For a limited time, all new players get a free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use my promo code WIRE. That's right. Play a real money game for free just by using my promo code WIRE with your first deposit on Draft. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and come play for free with the promo code WIRE. All right, Luke, let's talk about a few other uh, kind of training camp news items and, and just general draft season topics. Everyone seems to love the San Francisco offense. I mean, they bring in Jarek McKinnon. Kyle Shanahan's there for the second year. The Jimmy Garoppolo experience for a full season for trading for him a year ago. He generated a lot of buzz with the way he played down the stretch last season. With Jarek McKinnon, in a lot of the leagues that I'm looking at, the NFFC-style leagues, he's going the mid-second round. You know, In best ball formats, he slides maybe to the end of round two, occasionally early round three if it's a 12-team league. I'm looking at this and saying, okay, like this is a very talented player. He's always had that explosiveness, always had that raw ability to do a lot with a smaller workload, but he's had some chances to be a lead back in Minnesota, and the big plays really haven't been there, really for the last three seasons, which is kind of surprising because as Minnesota's offense has improved, McKinnon's efficiency really hasn't improved along with it. But he goes to Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco. Everyone's going crazy about this guy as a top 20, top 25 overall pick, and while I've always liked the talent, I don't see any room for profit if he's going that early. Do you like Jarek McKinnon as a potential second-round pick this draft season? I wouldn't say that there's no room for profit, but he's not on any, any roster that I have right now, that's for sure. Um, yeah, the price is a little too rich for me. If I can get him end of second round, it, it really kind of depends on who's falling there, especially like in MFL 10s. Um, first off, it's got to be a PPR league. Um, in that Vegas league we were just talking about, I was shocked he went 15th overall. I just can't really buy into that unless you think he's the second coming to Devontae Freeman, which in a Kyle Shannon in an offense, who knows? Maybe he is, you know, he does have that explosive ability, like you say. I don't think he has the same, you know, base power and strength and leg drive that uh, that Freeman has. Um, you know, and I'm not necessarily convinced he's as good a receiver, but, you know, in a PPR format, you got to imagine he's getting – probably 60 plus catches. I mean, Carlos Hyde got, got 59 last year in that same offense. Uh, I, I like him if you can get him in that early third. Like you said, he slips there occasionally. In the second round, like I said before, though, I'm going Joe, Joe Mixon all day. And if it's PPR format and I can get him, I'm taking Devontae Adams regardless of who my first round pick was. I just see tons of upside with him. You know, as the number one for Rodgers. Um, great bet to, to lead the league in you know, receiving touchdowns. Uh, should finally top a thousand yards. I think he can blow well over a thousand, maybe hit 1200, 1300 uh, if the target share is there. But, um, you know, if, if McKinnon catches 70 balls uh, and gets 200 carries, then there's definitely room for profit. He's just got to find the end zone a fair amount. 
Yeah, I look at Devontae Adams as a mid-second rounder, and I wonder how people pass on him because when Jordy Nelson was the number one in this offense, Nelson was a late first-round pick, and Adams should be getting similar target volume, especially in the red zone. I mean, even when Nelson was there, Adams was a guy that actually was starting to pull in a lot of looks inside the 20. So I could see Devontae Adams being the second-round pick you're getting this year, who we're talking about as a, a top 10, top 12 overall player going into 2019. Uh, but I'm looking at the Bears in the same way that some people are looking at San Francisco. I'm looking at a lot of things that could go right for this offense. I mean, Matt Nagy taking over for John Fox is a huge upgrade. Even if Nagy is just like an average tactician, that is a miles improvement over John Fox and Dahl Loggins running that offense and, and basically not letting Mitchell Trubisky do anything as a rookie. I mean, they didn't even, they didn't even really let him take chances downfield. It was just all about a slow tempo, ultra conservative approach. So Trubisky gets a chance to work with someone off the Andy Reid coaching tree, gets new weapons. Allen Robinson signs out of Jacksonville, a legitimate number one receiver in situations where, you know, Blake Bortles has looked inconsistent throughout his career, extremely lost at sometimes. And yet Robinson has put up some pretty interesting numbers early in his career. They bring in Trey Burton from Kansas city uh, they draft Anthony Miller, and you know they got Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard in that backfield. So even if the Bears don't win a lot, they look like a team that maybe across the board is kind of underrated from a fantasy perspective. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, as I said earlier, when we were talking about Alan, uh, Anthony Miller, I sent some tweets out about the Bears uh, last night. Finally, starting to get involved with uh, some some of the training camp tweeting which is you know i'm still trying to improve on my consistency with that but um got an interesting response you know everything from you're totally crazy to you know everyone's completely on board with me um but i can see a ceiling for a guy like trubisky that is right there around you know a qb1 top 10 top 12 guy when all is said and done you know those weapons around him like you say alan robinson very true and legit number one you know, has, has the size, athleticism, great route runner. You know, a little worried about coming off the knee injury, getting acclimated to a new system, new team, co- you know, quarterback, coaching, everything. But uh, much more accurate passer and too risky than, than a guy like Bortles. So, you know, he's he's got the weapons between Robinson, Miller, who, you know, I think if, if I'm drafting dynasty leagues, he's a, pretty much a top five guy to me. There's maybe only three or four running backs I'm even taking over Miller. Uh, he's the total package, great route runner, ultra competitive, really reminds me of a, a Steve Smith type, you know, has underrated athleticism, good vertical, good o- overall straight line speed, uh, great quickness, strong hands, will fight for the ball, you know, can take it away from a defender, uh, will make, you know, the occasional circus catch. So he's a guy that's going to be hard to not target, I feel like. You know, and then when you add guys like Trey Burton and Adam Shaheen to the draft in the second round last year, you got, you know, total mismatches. You got a giant Gronk type in, in Shaheen, and then you have Burton, who's that move tight end, who's going to play that Travis Kelsey role, and guys like Tariq Cohen, and, and even Jordan Howard, who was not a terrible receiver as a rookie, who did some nice things, and, and I believe in his first NFL ca- uh, touchdown was a, a catch out of the backfield. Um, you got those guys coming to the backfield, Taylor, Taylor Gabriel and Kevin White, you know, two speedsters who can take the top off the defense. There's just so many different things you can do with these weapons. I think they were very 
you know, uh, strategic in how they put together the offense. You know, Allen Robinson's that big red zone target and go up and get the ball and, and you know, take it away from somebody in a 50 50. Uh, same with Shaheen. Uh, you got Burton who can own the middle of the field and, and the seams, you know, same way like Anthony Miller might if they do line him up in the slot. And Gabriel for that deep threat with three Cohen just doing a little bit of everything. You know, I think the sky's the limit for not just the offense, but Trubisky as far as what he can do. And, and another facet of his game that really doesn't get looked at closely enough is that he averaged six yards a carry last year, you know, put up 250 yards and two touchdowns in limited action. And, and he's going to play that same role that Alex Smith did, where Alex Smith had a, you know, a, a five rushing touchdown season a couple of years ago and had 500 yards around the ground the year before that. So I think he's going to have a little bit of scoring duality to him, which is another reason why I grabbed him uh, in that Vegas league as my backup to Cam. Yeah, I think if you, if you draft Trubisky as a QB2, maybe you waited a little bit on a QB1, even longer than you did perhaps uh, with Cam Newton, you're going to use Trubisky five or six times, if not more, this year, mixing and matching, playing the matchups because of the way that everything kind of lines up with that supporting cast. If that group is healthy, I think you, you might be onto something. This could be uh, a top 10 fantasy points per game type season from Trubisky in year two. The setup is just that good. Jordan Howard, for me, is the running back I want early in round three. You know, if I've gone running back, receiver, 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 it doesn't even matter the combination. If I'm looking for that second running back in round three, I'm happy that he's there because the, the per carry numbers, even in a bad offense last year, 4.1 yards per carry, it's pretty impressive. And as he pointed out, he was really good as a pass catcher as a rookie. Tariq Cohen's a nice player to have. I mean, you want to have a, a guy that can break big plays like that, but I don't see the Bears getting crazy with his workload. I, I think maybe we see him catch 65 or 70 passes at the high end, but if he ran the ball more than 110, 120 times this year, I'd be stunned. And, and if that happens, it's probably because Jordan Howard got hurt. Yeah, it, exactly. And, you know, and they also should have an improved offensive line, the interior of their offensive line wasn't what it was supposed to be last year. Howard's rookie year was one of the best in the league. Cody Whitehair, as a rookie, had a big season at center. Um, looked like he might be one of the best guys at the pivot in the league. Regressed a bit last year. You know, I think that might have been due to you know Kyle Long being banged up. And if he can get back and be healthy, you know, those guards and centers kind of play off one another and help one another. If you have Long healthy on one side of Whitehair, uh, you know, I just saw he actually left practice with an injury today, I believe it was. James Daniels, the rookie they took, uh, even ahead of Miller in the second round. So really high you know, draft pick, a guy who was one of the best uh, run-blocking centers you know, in college football last year at Iowa. They slot him in at left guard. He's super athletic and mobile. These guys can pull and they can work great in his own system together. Howard might have some bigger running lanes to, to go through. He's averaging five yards of carries a rookie. fell down to 4.1, but yet he still had 1,109 scores. You know, so you know the volume's going to be there. Like you said, unless he gets hurt, Cohen's not stealing more than 100, maybe 110 or 20 carries at most. Had 87 last year. Um, so I, I love Howard. Like, if you're getting him in the third, that's a huge steal. I've got him just outside my top 10 at running back. Um, you know, as I said, in that, that draft we did uh, in Vegas, if I could have gotten him at 25 overall in the second, it was a no-brainer. As much as I love Steph Diggs, Jordan Howard, and Zeke Elliott, I'll take that all day. Anthony Miller, you mentioned him before. I mean, from a long-term perspective, you're really high on him. But even short-term, the setup's really good. He's going to get on the field right away. He's going to be their primary slot receiver. And he's more than just a slot receiver. I can't believe how cheap he is right now in MFL 10s. He's going outside the top 160 in terms of his ADP. It's almost free when you think about it. 
what kind of year one ceiling do you put on Anthony Miller? I mean, can he be the kind of guy that, as a late-round pick, is actually helping people win leagues in 2018? I, I absolutely think he's a guy who can help win some leagues. Uh, <laughs> you know, I might be uh, a bit uh, a bit too bullish, but you know, when I uh, did a, a mock draft back in April, uh, right before the draft, you know, I decided to you know do one of those mock drafts where I was going to pick like I was the GM. In part, I did that because I wanted to include him in the first round. I wanted people to realize or know how much I believed in this guy's talent. I had him going 15 overall to the Cardinals, and I made the statement that he's the best receiver prospect I've seen coming out of the draft since 2014. You know, and I'd, I'd put him not far behind guys like, like uh, you know, maybe I think it's a bit of a reach to say Sammy Watkins or Odell Beckham. Those were the guys who I'd say would be the best, but I think he's better than Amari Cooper. He's a he's a, a better overall route runner. He's just uh, I think part of it is the like you said earlier about Steph Diggs, it's that chip on the shoulder type of mentality that that he plays with. He just plays with an aggression to his game, and that's why he reminds me a little bit of Steve Smith. But um, I don't see any way this kid's going to fail barring an injury, and I don't see how they're they're not going to use him because he's going to be you know we're already hearing about how he shows up in every single practice and is having highlight real plays and burning. Their best corners, guys like Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mukamaru, are really strong starting corners in the league. And he's beating them in one-on-ones consistently. Uh, I'll be very surprised if he's not at least approaching 1,000 yards, if not topping 1,000 yards as a rookie. And I fully expect him to lead all rookies in receiving. Yeah, I expect to have lots of shares of Anthony Miller if that price stays as low, anything close to as low as it is right now. This is a team that's kind of built for modern Tecmo Bowl, too. I mean, with Robinson, Miller, Cohen to be a fun player in Tecmo. Howard is a good running back. You know, the defense with Vic Fangio heading it up, I think, could be uh, an overachieving unit as well. They're, they're a more dangerous team than people realize. And worst-case scenario, they're going to be an extremely watchable six- or seven-win team, but I could see them being even more of a thorn uh, in the side of the other teams in that division. And I've seen North's going to be rough this year. I mean, I, I think a lot of people expect the Vikings and Packers to just be battling it out in December. But I don't know. I think the I think the Bears are a lot better than they were last year, and the Lions aren't terrible. So this could be the deepest division in the league right now. I, I would definitely call it the deepest in the league. I mean, it, NFC South rivals it, but I I think the Bears and, and Bucks are somewhat similar. And I'm going to give us – Maybe a slight edge to Chicago. Um, I think Trubisky's going to be a little more steady than Winston. Um, you know, all the skill positions rival him, and I think the the, the Bears got him a little bit beat in offensive line. Maybe in defense, there you know that's a bit of a coin flip. If Vita, Vita Vea is is healthy, I really like the Bucks to suddenly have one of the better run defenses in the league. But I gather he left um, practice once yesterday, the day before, with an injury. I haven't heard what that is. It was lower leg, I believe, but. Uh, as a Packers fan, yeah, I'm not really looking forward to watching the Bears, but I also am really looking forward to watching the Bears. Yeah, a lot of people have made a lot, too, of, of, of Trey Burton going there and playing the Travis Kelsey role. Do you trust Trey Burton enough to draft him as your primary tight end right now? The price has been ticking up. I think he's one of those guys that's getting some helium, not only because of the, the situation, but also because of Hunter Henry's injury. I mean, that was a, a big early injury this football season, having Hunter Henry go down with that torn ACL so we're seeing a few other tight ends, Burton and George Kittle, kind of among them, getting pushed up a little bit. Are you in on Burton as a clear-cut top ten fantasy player at his position? I don't. I I don't have him anywhere. I have no shares of Trey Burton. 
I've been so tempted to grab him in a few MFL 10s that I've been in. He's just always around earlier than I want him. That's where he's priced right now. ADP is, uh, looks like at 108. I'm in the middle of a draft as we speak. So um, I've, I've been flipping the coin between him and guys like George Kittle and OJ Howard. I tend to fall more on the side of a guy like Kittle um, where I see a much clearer path to targets. And as I said, I think it's going to be hard for them to not work Miller a lot, especially in the slot and, and moving him around a bunch. But guys like Miller and Cohen are going to be, you know, uh, getting a fair share of targets in that middle of the field where Burton is going to do most of his work. So I, I could see Burton's uh, floor being somewhere more in the range of 70 or 80 targets, where if, if you're where he's priced right now, you're, you're hoping he's getting closer to 100 uh, I don't mind taking him as my tight end one necessarily, just not necessarily at that price point. Because after the top five guys, it's kind of a crapshoot anyways. And I think his upside's as good as maybe a Kittles or, or an O.J. Howard's or Kyle Rudolph perhaps even. But uh, you know, I just find myself at those price points going with other options. Yeah, I'm surprised Burton's more expensive than Kittle. I mean, I, I think if you could get them both, it'd be great. But you'd almost have to flip them in order, push Kittle up and hope Burton falls. And then maybe you come away with both. But... Uh, so far, no Trey Burton on my rosters as well. Auto New Fantasy Football is the next level fantasy football challenge you've been looking for. Experience a year-round dynasty competition with deep rosters. Accumulate college player prospects to lead your team in the future or to move for a superstar at the trade deadline. Auto New Fantasy Football never sleeps with year-round trades and off-season arbitration. Learn more about why everyone who plays Auto New becomes addicted at autonewfootball.com. Auto New, better fantasy football. All right, one last question before I let you go here, Luke. Uh, I'm looking at the Packers depth chart wide receiver, and I like this group of rookies they brought in. You just got these kind of big, fast guys that create a lot of problems. It, who knows how many of them actually are able to keep around in this roster as things get pared down. Injuries might dictate that a little bit too. The guy I like the most of the bunch is a guy that you've seen a lot of. I know you're a Notre Dame graduate. Equinemius St. Brown, to me, is... I think going to be the best of this bunch in the long run if if they're able to keep him around. Like that's going to be the question is if the roster allows them to keep this entire group or at least keep him as a part of it. What's your take on that trio of, of Packers rookie wide receivers? Uh, I'm I'm kind of in the same camp as you as I think uh, St. Brown probably has the highest ceiling in the bunch. I'm starting to uh, edge towards Jamon Moore though as as the guy that makes the earliest impact in their fourth round pick out of Missouri you know back-to-back thousand yard seasons in the SEC is also like you see you know they're all big and fast he's 6'3 in that 205 to 210 range uh, I don't think he's quite as fast straight line as St. Brown or um, their other rookie their fifth rounder Marquez Valdez Scantling he's he's shiftier they compared him a little bit you know as far as his play style to Devontae Adams gotta love hearing that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the guys, uh, actually, I love the quote. I think it was by the receivers coach um, from back in probably like May or June. You know, it was after minicamp. Said he grabs grass. You know, and, and I hadn't really ever thought of that term until I heard it. But you know, watched. It, I went back and rewatched some of Moore's highlights, and and I I think I understand what you know the receivers coach is getting at. He just you know explosive off the 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 snap off the line of scrimmage. Um, really gets on top of a DB. You know, and, and uh, you know, is pretty crisp in his route running. St. Brown kind of rounds his routes out a little bit too much. They're almost lackadaisical at times. Guy's an amazing athlete. 
I think he's got excellent hands for the most part, but I worry about his overall focus and concentration. And I think that was the concern with a lot of teams that, you know, allowed him to drop into the, the sixth round because just some, you know, sheer physical ability and talent. You know, he looked like a guy who should have been a second or third rounder. He had a big, you know, disappointment in his, his last year at Notre Dame, his junior year. But that was more, you know, if you watch Notre Dame much at all, that was more due to the, the quarterback play and how, you know, how off target Brandon Wimbush could be at times. So, I love St. Brown's upside because Aaron Rodgers is going to be the guy throwing the ball, but I wonder if he's going to be on the same page and be where he needs to be consistently. And I think that's the biggest concern for him, but the sky's the limit. If the guy can, you know, um, can pick up the game and pick up the playbook well enough and, and make some plays in camp and, and get on that roster, like you say, because if he winds up on a practice squad, I'm pretty confident someone else, like maybe the Buffalo Bills or someone desperate for a receiver signs him up. Yeah, that's the thing about this group. Whoever gets cut is probably going to be scooped up elsewhere and maybe get a chance to play sooner. So the entire group is worth watching closely as we move through camp and the preseason. Luke, thanks for taking some time to uh, chat with me today. It was a lot of fun. And uh, let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me, Derek. Um, you know, on Twitter, you can find me at uh, my last name, Hoover underscore L underscore A. Kind of boring handle, but uh, I'm going to pick up the tweets in the, the coming days and weeks, you know, through through training camp and try to get some good news out there for you guys. All right, give Luke a follow on Twitter. And again, uh, we're going to be with you here pretty much every day, five days a week now through the end of the season. John Helpin, of course, leading the way and still kind of putting together our in-season schedule, but tons of great episodes on the way. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast sponsored by Draft.com. John is back with you tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.